Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird or wonderful science directly into your dreams. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, I speak with professional grinder Tim Cannon about adding devices to your body. But first up, here's the news about face recognition. Face off. The Australian federal government wants to make your face a national ID card that unlocks government MyGov services, identifies criminals and allows them to spy on everybody. They call it the capability. It doesn't work. So the capability is to be tested on poor people. The capability uses the same NEC Neo face matching software that in May 2018 in England, in a trial by police, was shown to wrongly identify criminals 102 times out of 104. That's worse than 98% wrong. People who rely on social security payments like Newstart, single parent, and disability and aged pensions will have to regularly use a camera on a phone or computer to receive their payments. The Australian government has breaches of people's private information almost every other week, and our politicians famously demand results that are physically impossible for computers to deliver. Based on past performance, international agreements, and recent announcements, the Australian government will store the information insecurely. They will share it with other members of the Five Eyes Spy Alliance, and they will sell it to private companies. Centrelink has already broadcast a journalist's private information held in their trust. They doxed her as revenge for writing a critical article in a newspaper. People in aged care using broken face recognition software for pension payments? Like RoboDebt, the 2016 Census and the National Broadband Network, This system is designed to fail. Unfortunately, biometric ID like faces have a basic problem with identity theft. If someone steals your password, you can just generate a new password or a new account number. If someone steals your face ID, you can't just get a new face or a new name and date of birth. Apple and Samsung have been experimenting with face recognition to unlock phones. The first thing security researchers found was that pointing the camera at a photo of a face was enough to unlock the phone. They got around this limitation by getting the camera to look at a few seconds of video to catch someone blinking, so the software could prove it wasn't just a photo. Now people can bypass the new system with just a few seconds of video that catches you blinking. With the Apple phone, Asian people found that they could unlock each other's phones because the software had only been trained on white American faces. The government know it's going to cause problems or they wouldn't be forcing poor people to work as unpaid system testers. Why not just create jobs 
by hiring unemployed people to work as software testers. Tying an insecure face recognition system to the insecure MyHealth medical record system is a terrible idea. Too bad if your records are filled with the wrong medical information when an ambulance visits and gives you the wrong emergency treatment. The good news is that you can opt out of the MyHealth system, but only for the next three months. I'll put links to the MyHealth opt-out information on the show notes page. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Would you like extra abilities? Is grinding for you? Tim Cannon is the CEO of Livestock Labs and co-founder of Grindhouse Wetware. I began by asking him, what is grinding? Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good question. So grinding is a particular type of biohacking, which typically involves taking the hardware hacker ethos and, and mentality towards implantable devices and then kind of using yourself as a guinea pig. You're one of the very early people in the movement. Yeah, yeah, that's what they keep telling me. Uh, nobody, nobody fails to remind me about how old I am. <laughs> so what was the first thing you implanted? Oh, it was a magnet. Absolutely. As soon as I saw that uh, video by left, I, I mean, it was, I mean, it was, I was in love. I, I knew I had to know. I'm a very curious person by nature. And so as soon as I heard about this, I said, I got to know what that feels like. And I just went right after it. So she had a magnet implanted in a fingertip? Yeah. So left had uh, a magnet that, that uh, left had put into her fingertip. And basically from there, it was the ability to feel electromagnetic fields. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's it like to feel magnetic fields? Um, I think it's interesting. I mean, uh, I'll say this. It's kind of, it's fun because you're surrounded by these things all the time and you don't know. So it's always fun when you find a new one and you kind of go, what, what is this? Right. I, I was, uh, I was moving around a light switch at one of the apartments of my friends, uh, here in Sydney and I felt the field and all that was hanging there was this little pot holder, like cooking mat. And I was like, what is this? And so I started feeling around and I was like, there's magnets in this cooking mat. What do they need these for? And I couldn't, I, I asked her and she was like, I didn't even know there was magnets in there. And I was like, yeah, see, that's, that's why. That's why. Because there's all these cool things that you don't know exist. And now you have a sense to find them, you know, and that's really cool. Is there any danger to having a magnet implanted in a fingertip? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, there is some small amount of danger, especially if you, you, you're somebody who's foolhardy enough to you know, code it themselves or something like this. But if you get one that's uh, coded by a reliable manufacturer and it's a biosafe substance, the, the, the chances are very, very small. However, you know, if they get exposed to moisture and this sort of thing, they can create rust and that rust can begin to, it'll begin to hurt. You'll get a little black mark. You have to go get them removed. If it gets bad enough, you'll, you, you might even need a doctor to go in and go in there and do some stuff. We did have one of our members. He did a did a implant he did the coating himself and uh, it, it breached and he had a very painful procedure to get it out so is there any danger of nerve damage not that we found nobody's experienced anything like that to, to my knowledge I mean when you first get it done it's just like any cut you know there's some amount of nerve damage there like a temporary but then very quickly the nerves you know kind of regrow reconnect and everything's fine 
And what about high electric fields? Is there any danger that, you know, some power will transfer through the magnets? Uh, no, nothing like that. I, not, that, not that I've ever heard of. I mean, and I've been next to some pretty high power stuff, I can tell you that. You know, so yeah, no, nothing I've seen so far. So you can get an extra sense by having magnets implanted and adding to your sense of touch. And I imagine you could diagnose electrical faults and all sorts of useful things. What other things do you have implanted? Uh, so I have two near-field RFID-style kind of ones. One's the XNT by Emil Grofstra. He uh, runs Dangerous Things, another biohacker, badass. And then I have one that's uh, just a standard 125 kilohertz, and that opens the door at Hack Pittsburgh, my home hacker space. Go Hack Pittsburgh. And then I've had a number of other things. I have a magnet implanted in my tregus. You can bombard that with sound, so you can kind of hear with like almost like bone conduction. It's kind of in your head. And uh, I've done another number of really large ones, uh, North Star 1, which was uh, kind of a light aesthetic implant. I also did our first version of Circadia, which was extremely large, but uh, much more functional than anything else we've done. And now that we're working on this one for cattle as uh, livestock labs, um, I'm going to be implanting that, of course, you know, because it's our most functional and capable to date. So, of course, I want it, you know. So the North Star 1 is LEDs under the skin Mm -hmm. that's, what, activated by magnets? Yeah, that was actually, yeah, you'd sweep a magnet over it, it would light up for about 10 seconds. We actually have a second version of that almost complete, but this commercialization kind of end of things and the desire to eat and do this at the same time kind of took over a little. But the new version of North Star will be tap activated and it'll capture gesture information and then, you know, interact with the phone to create other things like to create behaviors and and sets of things that you can do. What about things like detecting where north is, like a built-in compass? Oh, yeah. It'll, it has a compass, like a, it has a high-precision magnetometer, which could go into compass mode. It has a accelerometer. It has a gyroscope. It has a high-precision temperature sensor. So there's a bunch of different things that you can do. And what, what our hope is is that people will look at what we've done there and that we can create an API for interacting with it to a point where people can make their own little scripts and macros to kind of take that base hardware and do whatever they want with it. You know, that's the real, the real hope. There's a big movement for getting RFID as well as near field and all sorts of things. Is there cooperation from the companies at the other end? So if you want to put in a Visa card in your hand to pay with things, will Visa be happy about that? Right now, Visa is recognizing that it might be that the, that the social winds are tilting in a different direction. I can tell that because they are liaising with some of these people that are doing more of the, the, NFC, the NFC and the RFID stuff. There's a guy named Patrick Powman out of Amsterdam who is just amazing, and he's done a lot of this stuff. And he was talking to Visa, as well as Johan Osterland. And uh, Emil Grofstra, they've all had meetings with Visa, and Visa has been willing to listen and willing to talk about it, but they're not ready to dip their toe in the pool just yet. To make this work as a business, you're putting them in livestock. Yeah, so it just turns out that people are much less uncomfortable with cyborg cows than cyborg people. That's kind of the that's kind of the way it works. It's uh, you have to do this sort of thing where. That's one of the, that was kind of one of the epiphanies that we had when we started to do this was that, well, why are these RFID things, like, they're taking off way quicker, but they're barely functional and almost nobody uses them. But yet people will get them over, uh, hell, um, Peter Diamandis got one just on a whim at a party, you know, and, uh, and he would never do something like that with our technology. So we, we kind of thought about it and we said, you know, this, and it, why is that? Well, 
we've had RFID chips in pets for 20, 30 years now. So you have to, I guess, prove this sort of safety point in a, in a different way. And this actually provides a, a great way to do that while allowing us to do grinding for a living, which is the dream, of course, you know. What sort of sensors do people want to put into their livestock? Well, right now, the biggest thing that they want to know is basically states of the animal. And so that ends up being a combination of sensors. And frankly, they don't really, they're, they're not really concerned about the particular sensor groupings. They're, they're concerned about what they can get and what information they can ascertain. It's a, you know, a data scientist I talked to recently had this great kind of line about, you know, what does a data scientist do? They take data and turn it into knowledge. And that's, that's kind of what, what we're trying to do is we're going to take this data and provide insights to the farmer. So is the cow an estrus? Is the, you know, what so on and so forth. Now, they did express interest in certain biochemical markers that indicate things that, that would be useful to them. So for example, I'm looking for this hormone. Why? Because pregnancy, because, you know, so on and so forth. So there were, there were interest in, in, in certain like hormone level sensors, which We've actually made a little bit of headway on, and we may have found an extremely cheap way to do some amount of hormone sensing. We're really excited about that, but that's probably not going to be for about a year or so because it's going to take a lot of research and development. A year, a year is a lot of research and development for us. <laughs> How big are these implants for the cattle? Uh, I would say about the size of maybe, um, I want to say like two sticks of gum stacked on top of each other, but they have a little bulge in the middle um, for where the circular battery goes. All this you're hoping, well, you're planning, will go back into things eventually for people as well. And so what sort of things would you like to develop for people? Well, I'd like to do something similar to what we're doing here for the cattle, um, something that's just constantly monitoring the four primary diagnostics, you know, blood oxygen, heart rate, temperature, you know, respiration, these, these sorts of things that you get taken every time you go to the doctor, blood pressure. But I think moving on from there... I think that it's not going to, you know, we'll produce that and that'll be easy and it'll be cheap and then we'll probably have somebody else take that over because as quickly as possible, we really want to start going into the nervous system because that's the holy grail and we all know it, you know. So we're probably going to do that very quickly and then and then move through and not, not really do much more in the implantable sensor space and just go really directly for the, the nervous system. Do you have any ideas about helping people with disabilities? Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is the kind of thing that the we what we want to do is. So I met a uh, met a, a woman at Body Hacking Con, and she was visually impaired, and she she was completely blind, and she knew how to write our Arduino code, and she knew how to do all this stuff. And she asked me, "Okay, can we try this?" And unfortunately, the inductor that I wanted to use to show her one of our bottlenose things, which could be useful. Unfortunately, it was broken, so she wasn't able to feel it. And then there was somebody there that was kind of like a, maybe a parent or a relative that was kind of watching over her. And so I gave her my email address, but she never emailed me. And I, I have a sneaking suspicion it might have just accidentally gotten in the trash kind of thing because the guy like came up and was like, what are you guys talking about? Oh, okay, we got to go, you know, and that sort of thing kind of bustled her off, which uh, was, it was a little upsetting because she was extremely, extremely enthused. But I think that that's the point is that we need people from those communities to get involved. That's the thing about grinding and hacking. It doesn't work unless you're involved, right? I can't make a product for somebody. I can help them make a product for themselves, you know, and, and that's what we really want to do anyway because the whole part of grinding that's important is that it's empowering people at a level that they've never been empowered before. I mean, truly take control of your destiny, your biology, your self, and that's exciting. And so I would love to get more, more uh, people with disabilities kind of involved in the community so that we could find out exactly how best to 
to help them because I have all the knowledge to, to code, but I have no knowledge of what it's like to be them, you know? What is that bottlenose? Uh, bottlenose was a device that interacted with people, like with people's finger magnets. And so you could hold it in your hand and you could switch through various sensors and it would very intuitively let you feel what that sensor was sensing. So if it was a heat sensor, it would go, you'd feel that it's high or you'd feel that it's low. And we did a bunch of field tests and stuff for it. The primary use was rangefinder, the rangefinder, because you could have this magnet in your finger and walk around with your eyes closed and then walk around a room and that sort of thing. So it was uh, kind of interesting, you know, you, it, and that's why we called it bottlenose because bottlenose dolphins have echolocation, and this was an echolocation rangefinder. That sounds like it would be amazing for people with a vision impairment. Yeah, absolutely, and that was the mode that I was really most excited to show this woman at Body Hacking Con, and that's one of the things that we've, we've talked a lot about. We just have not had an opportunity to liaise with those communities, although I did meet somebody at a, at a, at a thing the other night that, that might be able to help me with that, so I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe, maybe connecting with her. And so that system, does that connect to your data metronome? Yes, absolutely right. So Bottlenose has, a, has, a, has the ability to, to communicate these sorts of sensations. But if done right, uh, now what we did was use the old Morse code protocol. If done right, you can very quickly pulse Morse code. And, and after very little training, you no longer feel dots and dashes. You feel numbers and letters, right? They, it's like, oh, that feels like a seven. That feels like an eight. And so what we wanted to do was create a, a data metronome that, that would just say, you know, every 30 seconds or so, it would give you, say, four or five pieces of information very quickly. You know, maybe it would be, um, you know, time, weather, how many emails are in your inbox or, or something like this, and then maybe some other kind of aggregate code, you know what I mean, like of like, you know, something like you know, traffic versus, you know, cost versus, you know, some, something that you aggregate. And then, then as a natural response your body and your brain over time begin to incorporate that very intuitively. So it just, you, you're aware of information and you're not really thinking about how you got it. It's just there. And not only that, but having it every 30 seconds with a real-time clock means that you're also kind of highly aware of time in a different way. So when somebody says, meet me in five minutes, I will meet you in exactly 300 seconds. You know what I mean? Because I know, you know, so... Again, it sounds amazingly useful for, for all sorts of people. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of something I heard from ages ago called a South, no, a North Paw, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is, a, a, like I was referring earlier, a way to tell North. is That's an anklet or a wristlet, I think. Yeah, that was actually, it's made by Eric Boyd out of Toronto, and he runs a... I can't remember what the company's name was, but Eric Boyd out of Toronto. And actually, I went to Toronto to do a conference, and I met up with him at the hackerspace there in Toronto. And uh, he let me try one out. And it was, I mean, it was perfect. It was so intuitive and easy. And by the t by within 15 minutes of wearing it, you just have, you just immediately understand what's going on. And it's, uh, it was really, really interesting. And that's, that's kind of something similar to what we wanted to do. Are those still on sale? Do you know? I believe he does still sell them on his uh, website. He's got like a little like hacker version of Etsy kind of thing going on where he uh, he sells all these weird little gadgets and gizmos that he's made. And he's a man. Someday I'll never be as smart as Eric Boyd. That guy is brilliant. He really is a really smart guy. So, And you mentioned you've got a magnet near your ear that you can transmit sound to. So how do you, well, I guess that's a similar question to transmitting to the magnet. So how do you connect to the magnet in your ear? 
So there's a little device that you can wear that's like similar to any kind of other device that you'd have, but it's a, you can wear it almost as a necklace, so it's kind of like incognito, and it has a range large enough to actually vibrate the magnet with enough force to actually hear, you know, hear what you need to hear. And to get the data into your hand in Morse... Mm-hmm. Do you have to? What do you have to wear, and where do you wear it? So what I would, what I was envisioning was, uh, and we'd done a couple of experiments. So I have one experiment where I have a magnet in my wrist right now that is useless, uh, effectively. But we weren't sure if you could feel the vibrations from a magnet in that spot, so we tried that because we thought a wearable would be the easiest way to do this. Being that you need to have something sensitive, what we had kind of envisioned was maybe something either like a ring or like a, a, a wearable wrist piece that kind of just had a small amount of wiring to, to like maybe like a single finger glove or something, something really lightweight that would then agitate the magnet uh, appropriately. The one that we had built, though, was a, it was a small square of plastic, and then we'd, we'd put it in our pocket, and if you just put your hand down by your, by your, by your sides, you could feel it. We ended up using that in an experiment, and I think they, they filmed it some, on some outlet. They filmed it, and we, we were able to use it to cheat at poker. Right, so we had one person spotting and sending me information on the other people's cards and telling me whether to fold or or, or go for it, and uh, we we ended up I was ended up uh, able to to win the poker game. It was pretty interesting. Could you do something like that without an implant if you had a buzzer in the back of a watch that was on your wrist? I think you could, but I think that there's people that are truly looking out for that, and the subtle vibrations, like it or not, they definitely make a noise. When we were first experimenting with the bottlenose, and we didn't, we were very, very noob at uh, electronics. We originally used a relay to to activate it, but the relays actually make audible clicks, and so we really couldn't tell if it was coming from the magnet or coming from the the sound, and so we ended up having to. We ended up having to figure out how to use MOSFETs and all these other things that we probably should have known how to do already. And, and then that's when we were able to really, truly validate the case. A buzzer would probably work, but it would be noticeable. And it's the kind of thing that the cheat kind of people are looking for at, uh, at casinos and that sort of thing, for example, if you were trying to do it with cheating at a casino. Whereas they're not going to look in your finger for a magnet and they're not going to know what a box does but they can investigate it with all of their regular equipment and it's not going to show up. That's a lot of uses for implanted magnets. What about the people who get the RFID implants other than opening a lock that's specially coded to recognize the RFID what are the clever uses that people have made of them? So I've used a lot of these things and what I've found is that the 125 kilohertz that's mostly just useful for doors and locking and IDs. So anything that you need to ID yourself with or an ID would be useful. You can build a sensor uh, very easily or order one or have one commissioned that can do a number of things. So for example, if um, all of you guys are coming into, you know, log into a a workstation or perhaps a workstation is locked unless uh, you have the credentials for it, right? So that sort of thing. You can do those sorts of things. At a hacker space, we we use them to we have a we have an RFID system at one of the hacker spaces where they have a vending machine, and since um, our dues are auto build, right, we can set up a little um, account in there so that we can pull out of the vending machine with our RFID and it'll just charge to our account. Those are really cool uses, I think, but they're not really exactly the kind of like cyborg technology that you want to see. NFCs are getting a little closer because they can take information, they can hold information. We had built but never released a system called for, for the XNT that would create a sort of digital dead drop. So what it would do is it would generate a, a, a link to any kind of content that you wanted to give out, and then you'd somebody would be able to scan your chip, 
get access to that content, but only one time. And then it would burn that link and push another link down to your, the new link down to your NFC. We'd never released it, but we had a lot of it written, the software written, and we thought that it would be useful because those, then you start to really get into a number of things like uh, medical records and uh, portfolios if you're some sort of artist or, or these sorts of things. Um, and I think being able to store some of this other stuff uh, that you can store on there, so you can store text messages and you can store automate, automation through your phone, so if you scan it, it'll automatically open up your driving app and, and head you somewhere, things like that. They're very just mostly just minor convenience sort of things, but I don't think there's been enough people that have gotten creative in the space, to be honest. I really don't. I think that there's a lot more that could be done there by out-of-the-box thinkers, and they just need to dedicate their time to it. For us, it wasn't valuable to dedicate our time anymore to it because there's so much more cool real cyborg technology that, that can be made and, and is ready, you know? Do any of these implants give you problems going through security checks at airports? Oh, most common question ever. But you know what? The funny thing is, I tell people all the time, it's security theater. Because at the end of the day, when I got my Circadia, this thing was a very large, very visible implant. Anybody that's out there listening can go look up the Circadia implant and you'll be horrified. Okay, so content warning. You know, I went into Dusseldorf, Germany, and I did not have a giant box in my arm. I went to leave the Dusseldorf airport and I passed through the scanner, and I saw this woman look at the screen, and she had this puzzled look on her face. And then she, she called her boss over, and her boss looked at it, and he goes, I don't know, just let him go. And that was it. They just walked me right through. It could have been heroin. It could have been uranium. It could have been any damn thing. But, and, and I set off the metal detectors all the time, but uh, nobody ever stops me. Nobody ever says anything. So The future's coming, and I think that it shouldn't be something that we fear because we've got hackers on the case. This isn't... Halliburton. This isn't, you know, the evil corporation that owns the color blue. We want participation. We want to hear from society. We want to make the world a better place. So just help us do that. Don't fight the future. Be part of it. People want to look for you online. Where do they look? Uh, Livestocklabs.com as well as uh, grindhousewetware.com. And, you know, I'm Tim the Cyborg on Twitter. And uh, I'm on all the other social media and smoke signals and every other thing that you, you know what I mean, whatever you need. So, uh, yeah, any, I'm through every medium. Well, Tim Cannon, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You can find out more from Tim Cannon at LivestockLabs.com, GrindhouseWetware.com, and on Twitter at TimTheCyborg. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions, and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. Join my patrons on patreon.com slash diffusionradio and support the show. The news music was Rhinos theme by Kevin Cloud of Incompetech.com. Sound check and fact checking by Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 27 stations on the community radio network, including 2RBM in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, and 7LTN City Park Radio in Launceston, Tasmania. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, 
www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. You can explore more than 950 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.